Good morning. Welcome to Browncroft. Great to have you here. Thank you for joining us online as well. Um, Rob is speaking at Torrance Sparkman's church this morning, so uh, you get me. That's the deal. Yeah, uh, kind of your consolation prize, if you will. Uh, in this new series that we're going through uh, called Questions of Faith, and uh, it's, it's a fun little thing to actually explore together. We're looking at deeper questions in our faith and looking at how they apply to our lives. How do we discuss them with the people around us? One of the things that I love about working with college students for two decades was the fact that I got to engage in spiritual conversations with, with them. And one of the things about that that's so great is college students are really honest with you. All right, so you can have these conversations. I, I just reflect back on all the ones that I had, whether it was in the dining hall, in the student union, in coffee shops around campus. But I would start talking about, hey, what do you think about this thing? What do you think about that? Like, you know, just how about life, you know, kind of stuff. Sometimes it would evolve into spiritual conversation kind of thing. And um, ultimately, these questions would come forward, like, like Rob talked about last week. How about suffering? If God is really good, why is there still suffering in the world? Um, and it immediately, at first, the way I used to respond was I felt like I had to like, give this really detailed defense, this theological defense of it, right away. But what I discovered over time was there's actually questions beneath the question. So if you take the time to listen to people, it's often something else that's driving the question that allows you to get to where they want to go or where they need to go in, in that. So for instance, what Rob talked about last week about suffering, right? I'll go, well, why does that question mean a lot to you? What is there about that that really resonates with you? And sometimes it's the fact that um, they have experienced a lot of suffering in their own life. Someone that's close to them has died. Someone they've experienced, you know, living in fear for a lot of their life. The more you just lean into what's beneath the surface, the more we can really minister to the people around us. So that's my approach this morning. And here's the topic for this morning. Are you ready? Why would a good God send people to hell? Fun one, right? <laughs> Lots warm and fuzzies. Uh, <laughs> I get all the warm and fuzzy talks. Um, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go through that together. But I want to think of what's beneath the surface even as we go through this. Um, I was talking with my neighbor just a couple of weeks ago. For some reason, my neighbor and I have all these spiritual conversations with each other. They're, it turns out to be just this big spiritual conversation fest. I'll be in my backyard and he'll wander over and then one thing leads to another and somehow it, it delves into deep stuff. And he was talking uh, just a couple weeks ago about artificial intelligence. And he, uh, then that, that led, somehow it led to like the nature of humanity, good versus evil. And, and at some point in there, he, said, he turns to me and he says, uh, John, you know what you could actually use artificial intelligence for? And I said, what? And he goes, to write your sermons. And I said, wow, that's not really my style, but thanks. And, um, you know, we, we chuckled about it. It was great. But then I, it got me thinking, like, how about if I were to actually write a sermon about this topic 
using artificial intelligence. So there's this program, some of you have heard about it, ChatGPT. You can actually like type in questions to it and it'll, or, you know, it'll give you whatever you want it to give you kind of at the end. So I said, write a sermon based off of why does a good God send people to hell like, and base it off of Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And boom, it's, it's, it's creating the sermon right in front of my eyes. There's a page sermon. Some of you might wish, like, I just use that sermon by the end of this. It's just one simple page. And um, just a page. And you know what? It was actually pretty theologically correct. I was like, wow, this thing's putting me out of a job. This is great. Um, but what it didn't do is it gave the right answers, but it didn't give the heart behind the answer. <laughs> and so I want to give you right answers this morning, but I also want to give you the heart behind the answer. I hope that's okay with you this morning. Not just what we should think, but how we should feel and how we should respond to that together this morning. You know, whenever we're talking about hell, there's some things that we can maybe, some of us have grown up around church, maybe you've had different experiences in church, I grew up around church and there were two extremes that I saw when talking about hell. One extreme was uh, over-enthusiasm, let's say, about it. Kind of like the, more, the louder you talk, the more I'm going to convince people. And a lot of pounding on things and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and I think there's a certain callousness about that because ultimately we're forgetting that we're talking about souls of people here. Um, and we should be approaching that with care, I believe. Um, on, on the opposite side, there's just not talking about hell at all. And if we are a church that believes in hell, and we do as a church believe that there is a hell, then ultimately that's pretty callous to not talk about it. Because you're saying to people, well, there is this place of eternal separation from God, but we're just going to ignore that and pretend that it doesn't exist. I, I, I hope not to fall into either one of those extremes with you all this morning and to, and to talk through this in a way that um, is meaningful and in a way that is careful, a way that is applying this to our lives as well. In order to do that, we're going to look at a passage together, Matthew 7, 21 to 23, but let me set it up before we get into it. Jesus is talking. It's in this famous passage called the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has gathered his disciples. A huge crowd is around him. He's standing up. On, uh, he's sitting around talking, teaching them about what the kingdom of God is like. They're coming in with these perceptions of what the kingdom of God really is all about. And Jesus is helping redefine that kingdom in his own terms. And so he walks through the kind of the laws that people are used to and he kind of redefines them for a new age and he says, this is what it means to live in my kingdom. Now at the end of this time, he says, now I want to warn you all, there's going to eventually be false teachers and prophets who come along and, and I'm going to warn you about them. And he gets to this point though at the end and the passage that we're looking about right now is at the end of this Sermon on the Mount where he talks to them about this final day of judgment. He makes it very clear there will be a day of judgment. And he tells them what will happen on this final day. So that's where we're at. Let's look at it together. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It says this. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Okay, so this is sobering. We should look at this and go, wow, Um, this is serious. This is serious. The word hell is not mentioned in here, but the concept behind hell is clearly taught here. Hell is described as a place apart from the presence of God. Apart from the presence of God. God is not present in hell. Now, it's other things beyond that. Jesus describes it as a place of fire, a place of torment, some these visual images that we have in our minds. But the scariest thing about hell is that it is a place where God is not present. Some of us might think, when I, when I talk about hell, John, my life has been a living hell. Um, And for some of you, like I've heard stories that I go, oh my goodness, how are you standing in front of me right now, right? We all know people with those kind of stories. And I'm not going to diminish those stories whatsoever. But what I will say is, even for those of us with the most painful stories in this world, we still live in a world that is not devoid of the presence of God. If you were to take God out of this world, it would be a much We can't imagine the the scary place that it would be if humans were just allowed to do whatever they want apart from the presence of God. And so there's a sobering aspect to this. I would put it this way. It's a redefining of heaven too because heaven would be hell apart from the presence of God. This is kind of a weird concept, but go with me here, okay? Heaven would be hell apart from the presence of God. If you took God out of heaven, everything in heaven is so centered on God and who he is and his goodness and his love and and he he pervades everything. If you took God out of heaven, and a lot of us think of heaven kind of like just as a place where we hang out with each other and talk with each other. But if you took God out of heaven, it would be hell. That's the basis of what heaven and hell is. It's based on the presence of God. So with that in mind, with that concept of what hell is really at its essence in mind, let's reread this passage. And I want you to, as we reread it, I want you to look for an important word. Maybe which word you think is the most important word in this passage that helps us as we consider what Jesus is telling us, okay? So whether you're looking at it on a Bible or in your, on the app in front of you or you're looking on the screen, look for a word as we reread this passage together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Okay, so when it comes to eternal destiny 
in this passage that we're looking at this morning, I'm going, to let, I'm going to do a little interactive time. No shaming, just interactive, okay? What word do you think is the most important word in that passage as you looked at it? What do you think? New? Away, yeah, yeah. Will, yeah. Evil doers, okay, good, yeah. I mean, lots of good thoughts out here. You guys were jumping on it. This is good, I love it. I would say probably the most important word, there's a lot of words you brought up are really important in here. I would say those of you who jumped on it and said new, I think is the centerpiece of this passage because it's the definition of what it means to spend eternity with Jesus or without Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. This word isn't simply intellectual knowledge. It's not chat GPT knowledge, okay? It's not just I'm typing in the computer, it spits it out. It is an intimacy. Matthew actually brings this, uses this same word in the beginning of Matthew when he says, Joseph didn't know Mary until after Jesus was born. It's intimacy. It's head knowledge, yes, but heart knowledge and experiential knowledge all woven together into this intimacy that we have the opportunity to know. And now this is a part some of us have grown up in environments where it's been, religion has been all about what you do for God, right? If I just do this or I just do that. So let me modernize this language for us, what people are going to say to Jesus on the last day. Let me modernize that for us here this morning. People could, could get up and say, Lord, didn't we preach in your name? Like the little guy sitting on stage right now. Uh, Didn't we go to small groups in your name? Didn't we serve on the worship team in your name? Didn't we give of our finances in your name? And Jesus could say, still, apart from a relationship with him, depart from me, I never knew you. We have these things out there in the hallway, these four habits that we talk about as a church, and they're all great. Spend time with God, spend time with others, know and use your gifts, share your faith. You can be doing all four of those things. I believe in them. I think they're all fantastic. But the problem is you can do all of those things apart from a real relationship with Jesus, and it doesn't earn you anything apart from a real relationship with Jesus. So, let me distill this down for you into one phrase, okay? Some of you have, no, have grown up with the phrase, you, you know the phrase, it's all who you know, right? I would expand on that, and when it comes to our eternal destiny, I would put it this way, it's all who knows you. It's all who knows you at the very end of time. That's what we mean by having a relationship with God. Now, Intimacy, I talked about when it comes to this term new, it, it, it involves vulnerability and it involves trust, a deep trust and a deep vulnerability. Sometimes in church, we can talk about this, you know, what it means to have, be a Christian. Sometimes we can talk about it kind of transactionally, like do this, do this, and now you're a Christian, now you're great. Um, Kind of like buying a house, something like that, right? You, 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 walk, you do a walkthrough, you may negotiate on the house, you sign on the dotted line, great, the house is yours and you're all set. That's fantastic. Um, 
really the way that the Bible portrays a relationship with Jesus is like a relationship. The, the, the dominant narrative throughout the New Testament is one of a marriage between Jesus and his people. And it's this vulnerability, it's this trust that goes over time. And as we lean into Jesus, he begins to transform our lives as we go. As we think about what this means, let me just stop and say one thing in the beginning. That's true of every person in this room. Each of us was created to know God personally. Each one of us. Doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, every person in this room, outside of this room, everyone who is a human being living on this planet was created to know God personally. Augustine, one of the fathers of the faith, says this You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Oh, man. Could I get some amens this morning from that one? Yeah, I, man, that's my story. That's some of our stories, right? Like we know what it's like to live this restless life apart from God. Like when we're trying and we're striving and we're doing everything we possibly can to earn and to do everything we can and we feel restless apart from God our souls just continue to reach and strive and try our souls were created to find rest in God. Before I get to the good news, there's, there's bad news. And you can't appreciate how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is. Uh, yesterday, as it turns out, was the one-year anniversary of my dad passing away. And um, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer uh, and then two weeks later, he was gone. Um, and I still remember yesterday, I was kind of reflecting on it a little bit and thinking about the fact that my sister called me up kind of out of nowhere and just said, hey, we just found out dad has cancer. And I was like, whoa. It was a total, you know, shock. And... Um, so I called my dad. I went to the hospital. I was there in the hospital room when the doctor came in, and initially they weren't sure how long he had. They thought maybe six months, maybe a year. They weren't, they weren't sure. Um, but I was there in the room when the doctor came in and said, you know what, it looks like your body is shutting down and you don't have very much time at all, actually. We can't tell you how many days, but... It's progressing really fast. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, and as I reflect on that time, I can't imagine what a doctor would feel going into a room and delivering that, that kind of news, right? That's sobering news. I I'm not a doctor, but I imagine if you're doing that, it has to be a very difficult experience to deliver that kind of news. And even as I sit here, the news that I deliver is similar in nature. It's this. Every person in here is corrupted by sin. Every single one of us. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Each of us is born 
with a terminal disease. That means we're destined for eternal separation from God. Whether that's our own willful choices, passive indifference, whatever it is, we make our own choices to go away from the design that God has for us in our lives. And I don't like delivering that news any more than a doctor would like delivering the news that someone has cancer, but it's reality and I need you to deliver that news because I love you. That's the news that each of us has to deal with in our lives. But here's the good news, and this is why it's called good news. God just doesn't leave us to ourselves in the midst of all of this. You know, this, this image of sin, though, does distort the way that we view God. It distorts the way that we want to live our lives. I was trying to think of how do I, how do I illustrate this? with you all this morning. And uh, I, I had this idea, uh, oh, the Magic Kingdom, Disney. <laughs> um, okay, follow me, okay? This is not a perfect illustration, so just bear, bear in mind, okay? It's a one, one millionth kind of illustration, but I hope it proves a point, all right? So my in-laws are probably the best in-laws. No, no offense to any of the rest of you that are in-laws, but my in-laws are probably the best in-laws. And, and they've taken uh, our family to Disney since my kids were like this little. They take us to Disney every other year, and it's great. So when we were little, when the kids were little, I'm still little. When the kids were little, uh, they would, uh, you know, we would go around the park, and we would look for hidden Mickeys everywhere right? There's a thing in Disney. You look for hidden Mickeys, and Mickeys in the concrete, and Mickeys over here on the, on the castle, and, and people are wearing Mickey ears, and people are eating Mickey ice creams, and people are, everything is about Mickey. Mickey pancakes, everything is Mickey in the whole park. Now imagine you went in to the magic kingdom of Disney, and you hated everything about Mickey Mouse, it would be the most miserable place in the universe because everything is, Mickey's everywhere and what Mickey says goes and everything about Disney is based around Mickey. Now, okay, that's not a perfect illustration, all right? But you get my drift here. We're born with this propensity to say, God, I don't want your way, I want my way. I want to substitute Instead of you being the center of the universe, I want to put myself in the center of the universe. But what Jesus calls us to do is live this life of surrender. Not apart from him, but because he has lived this for us. It's all who knows you. As C.S. Lewis says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. A very sobering reminder for us. Okay, but here's the good news. God does send. But God is, it isn't that God sends people to hell. It's that God sends Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sin. The wages of sin, as I said before, is death. But God took that on himself. It's the beautiful part about the gospel that I cannot understand to this day. I just don't get it. I don't get why God would do it. 
but he does. So John 3.16 says this, and, and, the, and the two verses following it are very important to understand this verse, these verses, some of the most popular in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stand condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So there's a sense in which, on our own, we're doing our own thing. We're already automatically pre-programmed to do our own thing, but instead of God saying, well, I'm just going to let them do that, he sends Jesus to be the sacrifice for us. He's the ultimate example for us of trusting in his father and then of the vulnerability that it takes to live this kind of intimate relationship because he was the most vulnerable of anybody who's ever lived. He sacrificed the relationship with the father and his own body so that he could, we could have a relationship with him. There is no intimacy without vulnerability and surrender. There's no intimacy without vulnerability and surrender. And so that is where we find ourselves at the end of it all. Are we willing to surrender ourselves and to be vulnerable with God? I didn't... Uh, I grew up knowing all about Jesus and was a pastor's kid, grew up around the church, could have quoted you this John 3.16 verse when I was in the crib. Okay, so this is not like new stuff for me. But I didn't decide to follow Jesus until after college. Um, but there was a moment that really defined my life in many ways that I look back on now and I go, wow, I still don't know why God let me get through that. I was 16, and I was fishing at a, my uncle and aunt's house in North Carolina. And I was a canoe, and the rest of my family was having a picnic a couple hundred yards away. And I was on the other side of the pond, and I love fishing. I was just fishing, having a good time, throwing out, reeling in, throwing out, reeling in, every now and then catching something. And then, next thing I remember... I'm coughing, <laughs> out of consciousness again. <laughs> Boom. Uh, awake again, back, in, back out again. Awake, back out. I had a seizure. I had fallen over the side of the canoe. I was on the bottom of the pond for probably two and a half to three minutes, they, they estimate. Thankfully, someone in my family saw me fall overboard, and my uncle, after he determined something wasn't right, ran down to the, to the pond, got in another canoe, canoed across the pond, jumped out, happened to kick me on the bottom of the pond, then reached down, grabbed me, brought me up, pulled me to the shore, where my dad and him were trying to push all the water out of my lungs all at once. 
I was in and out of consciousness until I got to the hospital. Um, and as I reflect back on that time, I don't speak to you this morning as someone with any air of pride about this whatsoever because I could be in a spot where I was eternally separated from God. Like, this is my story in a very real way. That could be me. That could be my destiny. And I guess it is the older I get in life, the more I actually think back on that moment. And I think probably several times a year now I think back on it. And I wonder to myself, God, why? <laughs> why did you spare me? Like, why did you let me live and not face what I really deserved? Um, and maybe one of those reasons is just so I can deliver the message to you this morning. You don't, you don't have to face an eternity separated from God. You don't. You can surrender your life to Jesus in this life and say, and be vulnerable with him and say, my life is yours. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. I need your forgiveness for my sin. I want to turn to you, not to myself. And Jesus promises that in that moment we do that, he will change our lives now and he will change our eternal destiny as well. And that's what he invites us to. Not a fear for the future, but a hope for the future for each person here. And my hope is, if that's where you're at this morning, I know all, all of us are coming from different places, but if you're at that spot this morning where you go, I've never made that decision, that this morning would be the time that you can do that. That you say, Jesus, my life is yours. I want to live for you. I, I choose to follow you, not myself. Because following myself gets me nowhere. I want to follow you. And for those of us that have made that decision before, my prayer is this. This morning we'll be reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Just like my uncle paddled across that pond and reached down, and I was helpless. There was nothing I could have done to save myself. He reached down, and he picked me up, and he drug me to the shore. Man, for those of us who know Jesus, let's remember that moment of our lives, and let's be thankful that he did that, that he reached down, and he picked us up out of the bottom of the pit where we couldn't get out of on our own, and there's hope. And let's remember our lives beforehand and let's remember where he's brought us to and let's be thankful that we have the hope that we have. So this morning, I want to end in a kind of a unique way. I want to end with an opportunity for prayer. And I realize there's different people here in different spots like I've talked about. And if you're someone who who just is saying, hey, I, this morning I know I need to follow Jesus. I, I just know this is what he's calling me to. I invite you. We're going to have prayer ministers down front. They're willing to pray with you. 
I would say just make your way down. They would love to pray with you. You can come down front and just pray by yourself if you want. If there's something you just need to be before God, you don't want to talk to anybody else about, that's okay. Um, but there'll be prayer ministers down front too to, to, to pray with you about other things that God has placed on your heart that you just need to feel like, I need to, to express this to somebody in this moment. And so we're going to have an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray for us. Prayer ministers, if you could actually work your way down to the front now, I invite you to come forward. And um, even as I pray, just sense what God's placing on your heart. Ask God to be speaking to you. If, if, you're, if you're doing great this morning, hey, we celebrate that. And, and I would just say, if you want to leave, Go for it after I'm done praying. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to pray to close us. And as I pray to close us, just, I, I just ask you to leave this space as a space of silence for, for those who might need a little bit more quiet and silence in this moment. Um, even those of you who are watching out in the cafeteria, you're welcome to come back in. You're welcome in here uh, as well. So I want to use this opportunity just to pause, to be grateful to do whatever business we need to do with God because he's already been that sacrifice for us. Let's take this moment just to come before him together. Jesus, we're so grateful for your sacrifice for us. Lord, on our own, each one of us has wandered away from you and would serve only ourselves. But God, you displayed your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, I don't understand that. I don't get that. I don't know why you did that, but you did. And we rejoice in that and we celebrate that this morning. And for those that you're moving in their hearts that you might be, that might want to now make this decision to turn their life over to you, I pray that you would give them the courage to do that this morning. For those of us that are in other places this morning that we might need to come before you to, to express what's on our hearts, I pray that you would move us. Lord, for those of us who are here and we just need to thank you for what you've done and remember that sacrifice, I pray that we would, we would be filled with your spirit, thankful for that sacrifice, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We trust you in a fresh way. We invite you in your presence. Thankful for each person here. Move in each person in whatever way you choose. Our lives are yours in your name. Amen.